research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Joined, as always, by Eric Eggers. Eric, uh, great to see you. You're looking a little tired, I must say. I am a little tired, you know. Uh, Hard work? uh, I'd like for that to be the answer. (laughs) Unfortunately, I got up at 5 a.m. yesterday to watch the United States women's soccer World Cup experience end. Uh, yeah. It's a sad time in the Vickers household because my children know that when soccer's back, as <laughs> soccer is now back, the championship started last weekend, the Premier League starts next weekend, they're about to get a lot less time with daddy. So they're sad for that. Yeah. I'm sad because uh, the United States women lost in historic fashion, the earliest round they've ever lost. And uh, yeah, it's sad. It's sad. It's also an interesting phenomenon because a lot of people weren't really cheering for them. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think it's sort of indicative of where we are as a country, because like what should be more unifying than someone wearing the United States flag, like representing our country and conceptually our values on the national stage. Uh, and, and they've ascended because they've been excellent. Like they have been the best team in the world and it's aspiration for women and for soccer players all over. But I think, yes, yeah, seems like over the last several years, they stopped caring about or their their brand stopped being being excellent. And it started being about other things. And um, as long as they represent the right things, that that's what they wanted to be celebrated for and less so for their excellence on the field. And that's what happens when that happens. This is officially what's known as a segue because the same problem exists in journalism and government today. I mean, journalists used to aggressively pursue stories like the Biden scandals, Hunter Biden story, other narratives. They seem uninterested. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the new news that's come out on the Biden investigations, the uh, Devin Archer testimony, um, how the media has covered it or not covered it. Uh, But I think you nailed it. Um, You know, the news media today and certain organs of our government want to be known rather for having the right views, I put the right views in quotation marks, than actually for excellence. There are, I think, awards and prizes to be won uh, for being people that peel back the layers on the Biden corruption scandal. And yet the major news media outlets, all they want to do, rather than speaking truth to power and uncovering corruption at the highest levels, they're basically shilling for government at the highest levels. And to be clear, that's partly your fault. I mean, <laughs> and I'm being totally serious about that because the fact that, that we did have news, I think big news from the House Oversight Committee's uh, questioning of Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, and we have other things that we expect to come. We're going to talk about that on this program today. But the reality is it didn't used to be that way. It didn't right. used to be that the journalists were just blatantly uncurious to pursue things. I'm old enough to remember when you and I 
would work on uh, 60 minute specials based in terms of your reporting. You said, hey, members of Congress are trading on insider knowledge. Like, no way. Let's talk about that. Yes. And then you said, hey, by the way, uh, members of Congress are using their leadership packs to like fund lavish lifestyles. Like, no way. But that's a great story. <laughs> right. Let's do that. Yeah. And we- then you even said, hey, by the way, the secretary of state uh, and her ex-president husband, there's like a lot of weird stuff happening in terms of overlap of donor interest. Like, bro, yeah, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. But then that led to Donald Trump. And now you're the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's changed everything. It's changed everything because the mainstream media has convinced themselves that Trump represents this existential threat to the American way of life. I mean, they, they, they've kind of uh, if you look in the red scare of the 1950s, <laughs> it's now the orange hair scare of. Did you just you know, come up with that? I did just come up That's with this. Amazing. It. Thank you. I have my moments. Uh, But literally, it has the same feel to it. So we are justified in uh, uh, not reporting things on Donald Trump's political opponents because it might benefit him. So we're not going to report certain things about Joe Biden. And to me, at the end of the day, the bottom line is whoever says it, whatever said, judge it on its merits. The American people should decide on their own what they think is important. But the media has put their thumb on the scale. So we've had a very interesting week. We had uh, the Devin Archer testimony. We had the Devin Archer interview uh, with Tucker Carlson. A lot to unpack there. What what struck you the most? We're going to get into some of the details. What struck you the most overall as to what Devin Archer had to say? Any surprises? Any disappointments? Uh, anything that you thought was better than you thought it was going to be? Uh, I think the only surprise is that the reporting that you've done, that we've done, that anyone who's paid attention to the stories we have for the last five years continues to be validated by the people who ha- were in the room to validate it. I mean, I think that's essentially what happened. Devin Archer was asked... Uh, were you aware of any conversations in which um, Joe Biden or were, were you guys asked to help Burisma, this Ukrainian natural gas company, uh, with any favors? And Devin Archer said yes. And we can read through some of the testimony in which he got explicit about that. And he admitted that, yeah, Hunter Biden and I were asked to call D.C. for help. And then you make an excellent point because they they needed help. And he gets into like what the pressures were. He says, you know, to the best, I vaguely, whether it was Shokin, who was this prosecutor, uh, there's a lot of pressure initially. There were several pressure issues. It was kind of a theme of Burisma. There was capital tied up in London, 23 million pounds. There was a U.S. visa denied and then a Mexico visa denied. And then so Shokin wasn't specifically on my radar. But yes, there was constant pressure. It was like whack-a-mole in regards to the pressure that had to resolve. And so he gets asked. So the request from Mikola Zachevsky, the gentleman running Burisma, and uh, Vadim to Mr. Biden and or you, if you said it was to you, the request for help from whom to deal with what pressure? The request, basically the request is like, can DC help? Right. So that's what Devin Archer said. And, and to your point, if we lived in a different journalistic context where curiosity and interest in, in excellence in journalism and actually yeah. holding truth to, pa- to power uh, mattered then I feel like that's a really relevant exchange. That's a very relevant exchange. And then uh, Devin Archer's later asked, you know, who do you, when they mentioned DC, who do you think that was? And he said, it was Joe Biden. <laughs> I mean, who else is he going to call? Um, and and if you look at the, the reporting on this from CNN and others, it's kind of laughable. I mean, their headlines are Devin Archer confirms Joe Biden didn't talk about the business, you know, didn't talk business with Hunter Biden's partners, uh, ignoring the fact that, you know, the whole purpose, the whole reason that Hunter Biden is there is he's the middleman. 
He's the he's the 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 guy that is supposed to take care of those details. The demonstration of the access and of the power and get things done is the father, and the father needs the plausible deniability to say, "Well, I never you know really talked to these guys about anything." That's the whole purpose of the middleman, and that's a pr- important point too about the failure of journalism today, because not only are journalists not doing their job because the standards of what gets celebrated in this country have changed. That's why the U.S. women's national team failure matters because of what it represents. We used to celebrate excellence and we would still celebrate excellence if they won, but it kind of like that's less important. And even former members of the team said, yeah, but the, the, the team's struggling because they're just not as into that. They're into other things. They have their own agendas. They have their own statues. They have their own kind of things. Uh, and so journalists aren't about trying to win Pulitzer prizes for uncovering hard truths about powerful people they want to do they want to be about the right things culturally and so to that point they're actually doing their jobs if they work at cross purposes of for that reason right and so that's where it's not just that hey we're not going to investigate what joe biden may or may not have done to help his, his son's business deals it's we're going to constantly apologize and explain why what joe biden did isn't a problem. Right. And anybody that says it's a problem is clearly a right wing, probable racist, and you hate transgender people. So like <laughs> that's I think that's the standard. And so that's where your point about what it what used to be said about Joe Biden is he didn't know anything about it. Right. And then it was, well, he never talked to Hunter about it. He might have known about it. Right. And then it was, well, he never made any money off of it. Right. And now do you know it's like the standard is well, he didn't personally get the Venmo. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he didn't get the, the 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 transfer. And when you look at journalism in the larger context, it's really kind of scary. I mean, first of all, we talked about, you know, where are the journalists who want to win awards? Well, the New York Times has won a lot of awards. They won two Pulitzer Prizes for coverage of Russia collusion, which ended up really not being true at all. Uh, and yet the Pulitzer committee looked at it and said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to change these awards. And now the New York times is taking their, uh, investigative acumen and they're looking at Clarence Thomas's RV. They actually have a story about a friend that's letting him use an RV. Uh, there's no evidence of, of, you know, sort of, you know, un, you know, favorable treatment that was given, uh, to this guy. There's no evidence of corruption. You contrast that a s- member of the Supreme Court using an RV to the first family of the United States getting money from communist China that the families lied about for years. And the New York Times says, ah, there's not really much here to say here. It's, it's really, really stunning. You use the metaphor on an interview over the weekend. You compare it to spousal abuse. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's I'm not laughing at spousal abuse, but it is it is, I think, an apt analogy. I mean, you hear about these horrible stories where uh, a spouse is abused uh, and yet they won't bring charges and they make excuses, you know, like, oh, well, I, I did something to upset him or to upset her or, you know, I, I deserved it or, oh, he was just going through a bad phase and everything's going to be fine. You find the same kind of excuses being made by these journalists. I mean, think about this for a second. You're a journalist and we sit down and we do an interview. You're a reporter and I'm the, the person you're covering. And I lie to you repeatedly. At some point, your self-respect is going to kick in and you're going to say, you have lied to me repeatedly. I'm going to call you out. But the fact is, for the mainstream media, they've been lied to at least half a dozen times now on major elements of this story. 
And they just keep reporting breathlessly what team Biden tells them, knowing that they've been lied to, you know, six times at least in the past. It's, it's extraordinary to me that that none of them stand up and say, we're not going to take this anymore. We're going to report the fact that you're lying to us. What do you think that's about? I mean, assuming that they're not actual abuse victims, although maybe they do secretly believe that Joe Biden loves them and, right. and that's enough for them right, to deal with the fact that they are emotionally and professionally abused. Um, because, you know, that we we talked about we saw a piece come out over the weekend in which a, a famous o- Obama biographer kind of reports pretty matter of factly <laughs> about the fact that, that it's known that Barack Obama, since leaving the White House, continues to live in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And he continues to like, yeah, he might vacation Martha's Vineyard, but he basically like still has everyone from the White House over at his house and. Given the fact that the current president's 84 years old and doesn't necessarily appear to have a ton of ideological verve behind what he's doing, right? He's kind of a vessel that maybe it's really possible that President Obama continues to act as sort of this like shadow puppet. And the fact is like no one cares and no one sits there and stakes out his house to see, wait, who is coming and going? Like, why are we just not not pursuing this story? Yeah. And so I guess, do you feel like it's just ideologically like we're just happy to be in the same lane as these people that we respect because it means we're not in lane with the bad guys well here's the question and and you're you're more of the sports fan than i am although i do do love soccer if you're a women a member of that u.s women's team um who's the one with the pink hair that's so megan rapino yeah who missed Ra- the penalty kick yes megan rapino if you're megan rapino what's better ultimately for your career if you want to be an influencer and a celebrity to win the world cup again or to have the right positions, who is is Nike going to reward you more for which one of those, which one of those is more likely to get you a gig on ESPN? And I think it's the same thing with journalists. I mean, if you're the journalist, let's say you're the journalist that, you know, at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Washington Post that breaks the story that brings down Joe Biden. What's actually going to help your career more <laughs> doing that? Right. Being known as the person that did that. Now, America is going to view you a certain way, but the media industry is probably not. You're better off towing the line, doing the Clarence Thomas stories that are sort of ridiculous by comparison is better for your career. And that's the kind of messed up world of journalism today and of women's soccer. It's an excellent point. And I would say, well, you could if you broke the big story that brought down the Biden presidency, maybe get yourself a Fox News contributorship. But that's not really true anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You can come on this podcast anytime. Bro, you you will own Newsmax, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But to your point, um, the story about Barack Obama I mean, this is not just sort of some crank saying this. Uh, Garrow, uh, the reporter, has won several Pulitzer Prizes. He's known as really one of the authorities on the history of the American civil rights movement. Um, he's politically to the left. But he noticed this, that that Barack Obama you know, lives in D.C. He's got all these people from the White House that are le- regularly streaming into his, uh, into his home. The same press corps that was camped out at the Trump Hotel to see who might be sitting in the lobby having a drink doesn't seem to be interested in seeing how many Biden administration people are sifting into the Obama home on a regular basis. And, you know, all you have to do is go to that image. Remember when Barack Obama's at the White House and everybody's crowding around him and poor Joe's standing in the corner like the like the uncle that everybody's forgotten about to know there's some really, really serious elements to what Garrow is talking about 
But none of these newspapers are interested in reporting. But it does kind of explain everything, right? It explains why the Department of Justice is also uninterested in pursuing criminal charges, appropriately so, uh, for Hunter Biden. It's why the FBI is uninterested in following up the tips they get about the fact that Hunter Biden's taking potentially illicit bribes from the Chinese energy company, while at the same time charging this whistleblower for working with the same energy company. Right. It explains why they're ignoring IRS whistleblowers saying, hey, we have Hunter Biden's bank accounts. If they're all staffed up by ideological loyalists to Obama and he's still the power behind the throne, even if it's not, it's not so much that the president's son, it's like, no, it's like part of our team. And so that those people continue to be in charge. That is what I think people refer to as the administrative state. So you can't do anything about that, but you can hope for better from journalists because there are big stories to pursue. And to your point, one of the things that came out of Devin Archer's testimony is this letter that we now yes. know about, yep. this letter that he received from Joe Biden, then Vice President Joe Biden on January 20th, 2011. Yeah. And it's important to point out, by the way, remember, this is done in 2011. Joe Biden consistently said, I've never talked to his business partners. I have no involvement with the business. And yet he sends this remarkable letter to business partner Devin Archer in 2011. And the, and the context matters. And you know about some other stuff on the back end. Let's, let's do the front end, right? So on January 19th, Hillary Clinton hosts a state lunch. She's Secretary of State at the time. Hillary Clinton knows a little bit about taking in some foreign money <laughs> and kind of intermingling the state interests with personal finances. We called it the Clinton blur. We cl right. called it the Clinton blur. It's a great name. By the way, Clinton Cash, graphic novel, still available on Amazon.com. It's a great read. Uh, it's accessible. But so that happens January 19th, 2011. In April of 2010, so seven months, eight months before that, Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and you wrote about this in Secret Empires, travel to China with this Thornton group. And uh, Thornton Group's account of the meeting on their Chinese language website says that Chinese executives extended their warm welcome to the Thornton Group with U.S. partner Rosemont Seneca, Hunter Biden. And they've made a point to emphasize this on their website, second son of the now Vice President Joe Biden. And so that meeting, right, Hunter Biden's meeting with Chinese executives happened literally hours after Joe Biden met with President Hu in Washington as part of the nuclear summit. So Joe Biden's meeting with President Hu in April 2010 in Washington, D.C. Right. Hours later, his son is meeting with what would become his business partners in this Chinese joint venture. So that happens eight months later. Yeah. That's when they start up Rosemont Seneca with Devin Archer. Then January 19th, Hillary Clinton hosts this lunch. And then 20, like the next day, Joe Biden sends Devin Archer a letter. Yeah. And the letter says, you know, I'm so sorry I didn't get to see you. I, I you know, wanted to break away from the president of China which is kind of a bizarre thing to say. Like, I mean, he might not be a great conversationalist. <laughs> oh, you got another cruise book next year, exactly. huh? Hmm. Exactly. Antarctica. <laughs> exactly. All inclusive. <laughs> what, what are you and Mrs. Who doing? <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and, but the letter clearly indicates, he says he's happy that he's working with Hunter clearly has knowledge of, of the business dealings here. So another example of lying. What's interesting about this letter though, is the timing of it, because as we recounted in, in our previous, uh, uh, research and books months after he sends that letter you have this very curious meeting that takes place in the white house that that, that they uh basically um arrange in such a way that it can't be detected on white house visitors logs you have a delegation of chinese ccp officials that are guests of Devin archer and hunter biden who want to go to the white house and so they go to the White House visitor logs. They have meetings with these low-level people. But we only find out later 
uh, because some of these Chinese delegation members put it out on social media that they also had a meeting with Joe Biden, the vice president of the United States. That does not show up on the White House visitor logs. So it shows how the access was working and how it was moving forward. And this is the way that these things are done. Um, and the notion that the evidence, the level of evidence needs to be, we have to have Joe Biden cashing a check on video <laughs> that says from the Chinese Communist Party to Joseph Robinette Biden, that that's the only evidence or proof that we need of a payoff is laughable. And that has never been the standard of it. Um, and what this is going to do, Eric, is think about this. If the Bidens are able to do this without scrutiny, without consequence, which they are. Yeah, which they are. Why can't the next president appoint a secretary of defense whose kids are taking money from China? I mean, why not? This is now the new standard. This is acceptable. This is OK. You realize you're just giving the Chinese government ideas, oh, right? I, like, I, I'm sure they already Schweitzer's have this. A genius. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese already have this idea. They're already doing it. But this this shows the level of how corruption erodes the standards. We saw it with the Clintons when they set up the Clinton Foundation. You can set up a charity now and take money. The Bidens have taken it a step further. Not only can you set up a charity and take money. Your family can actually take directly money from these foreign entities, and there's going to be no consequence. And by the way, the Washington Post or the New York Times are not going to pay any attention, assuming you have the right politics. And neither will the Department of Justice and the yes. FBI. And that's really the, the crime here and the tragedy. The, the tragedy is not one man's personal ambition, Hunter Biden, and the moral boundaries he's willing to cross it to pursue it and to enrich himself and his family. Right. It's the fact that no one whose job it is to uphold standards of, of legal authority or otherwise in the United States seems overly interested in holding him to account. And that's whether it's journalism or law enforcement. And so we, you're right. We will never find Chinese cash in Joe Biden's freezer. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other pieces of evidence that might more directly link him, which might then make the failure to act all the more galling. That evidence may include, and we have a couple of things coming forward this week. You have Eric Schwerin, the guy who managed the money for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden is expected to testify to Congress as well. Yes. And then you also have a phone and you were asked about this. I'm Maria Bartolomo um, or Bartolomo. What do you find? To be, like, why is the phone meaningful? What could we hope for? And do we and what do you expect to hear from Eric Schwerin? Yeah, Schwerin's very interesting. Don't know if he's been scheduled to testify yet, but uh, according to the Oversight Committee, he is cooperating. Devin Archer was really the guy, the business guy, the, the one guy, I would argue, in this inner group that actually had business experience. He knew how private finance and capital uh, actually worked. So he set up the business operations, and his testimony, I think, was devastating. It was measured, but it was clear. Um, and, and I think it was just devastating in how the business model worked. Eric Schwering was the money guy. He's the guy that moved money around. You see on the laptop, he's the one that when Vice President Joe Biden had bills that needed to be paid, he's the one that contacted Hunter and said, we need to pay these bills. You see, uh, he's taking care of Joe's mortgage. So if he's cooperating, if he actually comes forward, and I think he's candid and honest the way that Devin Archer was, it could offer some really interesting insights into the flow of money and how some of that money may ended up in Joe Biden's pocket, not just Hunter's. The phone to me is crucial on a couple of levels. First, it's more evidence that Joe Biden was part of the business operation of Rosemont Seneca Partners. Why do I say that? Well, this is a phone that Joe Biden carried when he was vice president of the United States that was actually paid for 
by Rosemont Seneca Partners. Right. Um, so he had it for a reason. It was the hotline, as it were. It was the back channel for them to communicate with put, him. Put another way, Hunter Biden's business was paying for Joe Biden's phone. Correct. And Correct. Oh, and by the way, per the IRS whistleblower, we know that Hunter Biden's business was paying for Joe Biden's hotel rooms and it, certain things. Yeah. So the point is, Joe Biden was, in and of a sense, an employee of Hunter Biden and Rosemont Seneca in he, terms of the yeah, look. There are things being provided for him. He was he was getting he was getting benefits. There's yeah. evidence in the laptop that that Hunter Biden maybe through the business was paying for uh, repairs mm-hmm. on Joe Biden's uh, home up in uh, up in Delaware. So there's lots of evidence there. But Schwerner, I think, is going to add to it with the phone is going to demonstrate as well, I think, is how much communication was taking place beyond just Hunter, that other business partners were in contact with him. There may even be phone conversations that he had with foreign nationals on that phone. So we found that phone number on the Hunter Biden laptop. We've shared it. It's been shared with the House Oversight Committee. Don't know if they've subpoenaed it yet. They should. They need to. Because I think it's going to be further evidence on, on systematically how this worked. And remember, we have this, uh, uh, you know, FBI document, this F-1023, where Zlachevsky, the head of Burisma, said he has phone recordings of conversations with Joe Biden. It could be those conversations actually, actually took place on this phone. And so they need to subpoena the phone records. They need to see who actually was calling them. There's no executive privilege here. Um, you know, this is not a government phone. There's no privacy issues. This is not a private phone. This is a phone paid for by an outside business for the vice president of the United States. I'm smiling because I'm imagining that they actually do get the records and they can show a, a, a phone call happened between Zachevsky and Joe Biden, or at least that, that number. And then the reaction will be, well, sure, just like the WhatsApp message. But you have no evidence that Joe Biden was the one that answered the phone. And you have no evidence suggests he wasn't just, oh, that's the state troopers calling me for money. Like, hang up, right? Like, you can't prove right. that this thing happened. Or Sochevsky could have just been calling about the weather. Right. Right. That's the other option. Yeah, here. I like that that was with the, the thing that was seized on the, by the congressional Democrats is that Devin Archer said when Joe Biden would be on the phone with Hunter Biden's business associates more than 20 times. Uh, so he confirmed that those conversations happened, but the conversations were casual, nice. These like the type of thing that happens on a golf course. And I'm like, bro, what do you think business gets done? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's typical. Think about how Washington, when, when you're looking for donations from corporate executives, you know, the senator or, you know, the vice president or the president goes in and meets with them and talks with them, you know, or just comes in and shakes a few hands. And then the aides take care of the details. The campaign staff asks for the money. This is how it's done. All these guys know this. Um, that's what I think it makes it so ridiculous. And by the way, the experienced Washington press corps knows how this is done. Um, and yet they have nothing to say. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So does the fact that you go out and you you know give speeches and you plant the flag for GAI and you like make all these incredible things happen and tell a hard truth to power and then I'm the one that takes back your rental car, does that make me the middleman? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does make you the middleman. Absolutely. So we started this podcast talking about the women's national soccer team. And we've ended it talking about your rental car. Habits. And we talked about rental cars. We've also talked about Hunter Biden. So question for you, because this is the day and age we live in. If Hunter Biden joined the women's national soccer team, which can happen these days, mm-hmm. what position would he play? Oh, that is a, a great question. Uh, I would say it's probably striker because Hunter Biden, if nothing else, has shown a propensity for liking to score. <laughs> 
That's right. He's also pretty good. I think he'd be pretty good at like when he gets tapped, falling down in agony and grabbing his ankle. I think that actually might be the next step in Hunter Biden's evolution, right? He's gone from, you know, Amtrak board member to adult drug addict. Now he's an international sophisticated uh, businessman and then is a painter. Right. And, um, you know, maybe the next thing would be a trans athlete soccer player. So could be. be stranger things have happened in modern day america well we appreciate you for joining us as always uh for another episode of the drill down you can find this podcast at the or wherever fine podcasts are located thanks again for joining us until next time